Welcome to the Fighting for Joy podcast. I'm your host, Jody Blick. Well, today it will just be me on here. I've had this episode on my heart for a long time. It's for you, the person who received the awful phone call. It's for you, the person who heard the doctor say there is nothing more we can do. It's for you, the person who just buried someone you love. It's for you, the person who is trying to hope against hope that you can find joy again. This episode is also for the people who love you. They are brokenhearted for you and they don't know what to do. They don't know what to say. They care and they want some ideas of how to help. So I'm hoping they will send you the link to this episode. I regularly hear from friends, family, and even strangers that they are sending this podcast, the Fighting for Joy podcast, on to someone they know who just lost a loved one or who is just facing something really, really hard. And that is why I started this podcast. I want to be a resource and a help. I want to share ways to fight for joy. And I have learned a lot about grief, about healing and hope and fighting for joy. And I want to share with others. And I have guests on who can share their stories of finding hope and fighting for joy through awful things. However, now that I've been doing this podcast for quite a few years, I sometimes worry that a hurting person like you will be directed here and wonder what kind of help you could possibly get from an episode on menopause. Yeah, I did an episode on menopause (laughs) or perfectionism or parenting or even the episode my husband Eric and I did on our laughter returning even as we continued to grieve. These episodes reflect my own personal grief journey and healing process but maybe they're not the most comforting and helpful episodes for you right now in the early stages of grief. The progression of the Fighting for Joy podcast reflects years of healing and years of God doing some pretty amazing restorative and redemptive work in my life. But I still vividly remember the early days of grief, the dark days of grief. In fact, when I go back and listen to the first couple of seasons, especially season one, it all comes flooding back to me. Even my voice sounds different. You can tell I am still really, really hurting. Now in season six, my grief is still here. It's still a part of my daily life, but I've grown with it. I've adapted to it. I've learned better how to live in it and press forward. And yes, even let laughter return and accept healing and progress. But it's been a journey and it did not happen overnight. And so for this episode today, as I am recording this, I'm picturing those of you in the deepest grief, pain like you have never felt before. I get it, friend. I've been there. I remember and I see you. If you are new here, I have a grief story too. In 2013, our firstborn son, Jackson, and two of his friends died in a car crash. They were all 16 years old. I share more about our story in episode one if you'd like to hear more at some point, but suffice it to say these past 10 years have been brutal in so many ways. You are not making up how horrible grief is. It's lonely, shocking, painful, and so exhausting. And it probably won't be anything like you thought it would be if you ever even let your mind spiral into thoughts of grief and loss. And now that you are here, I think you'll agree that it's really a gift to not fully understand how horrific it is until you are actually in it. But now that you are in it, I want to share a few things with you. 
thoughts from one griever to another. I'm not recording this episode as an expert or anything, just as someone who is learning how to make progress in my grief and who has experienced over and over and over again the comfort of the Lord. And I can't help but want to share this comfort with you. The things I'll share today are things I would share with you if I was sitting across the table from you or next to you on the couch. Just some practical things to do and remember as you work to get through another day. Because friend, the way through grief is through. You can't bury it, ignore it, drink it away, sleep it away, exercise it away, overwork yourself to not deal with it. Well, I mean, you can for a while, but someday, and probably when you least expect it, and probably triggered by something else hard happening, it will show its ugly face again and will demand to be dealt with. So I encourage you to start the long, hard process of trudging your way through grief now. Lean into it from the very start. It will get you on the other side of these really intense, dark days quicker. Your grief won't be over, but you'll have started the process in a healthy way, facing it head on. During one of our first counseling sessions after Jackson died, our counselor Claire called grief a roller coaster, a scary roller coaster. So expect it to feel like that. Expect to be jolted around, unsure of which way you'll be thrown in your seat next. Hold on for dear life. It's okay to be scared, but you have to go where it takes you. You can't fight with grief. I mean, you can, but it will eventually win. It will eventually force you to deal with it, just like a roller coaster forces you to go along with all of its twists and turns. But today I'm suggesting that there is a fight to fight in grief, and that is the fight for joy. So I am here cheering you on, helping you begin this journey to experience joy again, not because your experiences change, obviously not because your loved one can come back or your life will return to what it once was, but because God never leaves us without hope and true joy, lasting real joy. Joy from the Lord is possible, in fact, probable as you lean into your grief and persevere in your faith and lean into all of the help, hope, and comfort that the Lord will provide. Now, as I talk through some of these practical things, please know that I'm not trying to give advice. Your grief is your grief. My grief is my grief. Yes, there will be some similarities, but there will also be differences. That said, I did try to think of pretty universally helpful things to share versus things that were more personal to me. And I also reached out to others who have experienced deep grief to get a more expansive list. But even so, it's not an exhaustive list. I'm sure as soon as I release this episode, 10 more things will come to mind that I wish I would have included, but this will get you started. And if I need to do a part two at some point, I'll just do a part two. So if you have just gotten the worst news of your life, this episode is for you. Even with a strong faith, grief is so painful. I wish I could give you a list of things that will make it hurt less, but I can't. What I can tell you is that there are ways to find comfort and peace and hope and friend, yes, even joy, but it's not always easy and it's not always just choosing joy. In your darkest days, you will have to fight for it. I can tell you after 10 years in grief that the fight is worth it and that joy will come. It is possible to experience joy again, even after burying a loved one, even after getting the most devastating news, 
even after your life falls apart. So I'm glad you found this podcast and particularly this episode. When you're ready, go back and listen to some of the other earlier episodes. I share a lot more there and I bring other people in to share their stories of fighting for joy as well. But for now, just listen to this one. Take notes, share it with somebody close to you so that they will know how to help you as well. And actually, I would suggest listening to this again in maybe six months and maybe again in the following year, because what jumps out to you today will probably be different from what jumps out to you a little further down the road in your grief. And I'm guessing your brain is a little foggy right now as well. Your mind probably isn't very clear and you won't be able to process all that I'm sharing on this episode that's okay. Trust that what you do take away is what you're supposed to take away. And that is enough for now. Okay. Now some practical ways to begin this new fight for joy. At the beginning, I just want to say simply make sure you are drinking water. You're getting stuff to eat that nourishes your body. You're showering, changing clothes and getting some sleep. Remember that you are a holistic being. You have to go through this grief regardless. So you might as well set yourself up to function better and feel as strong as possible. Not eating, not drinking water, not sleeping. It's all normal at the beginning, but it isn't not it is not sustainable. There will be many, many more days ahead to grieve. So let yourself rest and feel nourished when you can. And a little side note on this, don't be surprised if you experience weird things in your body in the coming days and weeks. Our bodies keep the score as it is often said. So as weird as it sounds, you may get a rash or throw out your back or get a weird injury. You might experience hair loss, lose weight, gain weight, develop migraines. I mean, fun, huh? But just be kind to yourself now because your body is carrying so much of your grief. Try to take care of it when you can. When possible, try to get outside. Even if you just sit on the porch, even if you just walk around the block, it can be really helpful and healing to feel the sun on your face or the grass on your feet. And honestly, if it's wintertime like it is here now, even the bitter cold and wind will probably feel weirdly appropriate and welcome. Tears are not the enemy. There will be other things to fight in the coming months, things like bitterness and despondency. But when tears come, let them. It's okay if they make other people uncomfortable. Crying can be such a helpful way to release some of your sadness, even some of your confusion and anger and pain. Try to view tears as a help, not an enemy in grief. Speaking of tears and just how many are probably flowing right now, I want to tell you that it won't always hurt this much. Now, when people told me that early in my grief, sometimes it helped and sometimes it didn't, but it is true. It helped because I knew I couldn't endure feeling like this for very long. It didn't help because I couldn't imagine wanting to feel better. My son was gone. We had buried him. Our family felt so broken. Our kids were devastated. The amount of pain we were feeling felt appropriate and spot on. So sometimes I felt a little panicked when people tried to assure me that this level of pain wouldn't always be there. The other thing that fellow grievers told me that sometimes helped and sometimes didn't was that although it wouldn't always hurt this much, the next two years were going to be pretty awful. 
Again, that resonated with me, but also panicked me. Two years. I might feel like this for two years. I mean, that just felt impossibly difficult to face. But along with the pain comes some brain fog and some inability to really process everything. So yes, it is a long two years, but your body, your mind, your community, your faith, your big God will help you get through it. And there is less pain, less heaviness, and less crying on the other side of the next two years. Pray. And by pray, I mean in whatever way you can. Maybe it's just one word prayers like help or why. Maybe it's a list of things you're desperate for. Comfort, help, strength, hope, more trust, more faith. Maybe prayer looks like reading prayers that have already been written out because you can't figure out any words on your own. Or maybe you have lots of words that you want and need to share with God. Let them fly. Run to Him in honest and raw prayers. Tell Him everything you need. Also, if you're struggling to pray, ask for and receive the prayers of others. Let their prayers carry you and sustain you. Ask for people to pray over you and to pray for you. People will be wanting to know how they can help and what they can do. Prayer is powerful. Don't be afraid to ask for it and don't underestimate how helpful it is. Also, maybe you don't know this, but the Bible tells us that both Jesus and the Holy Spirit intercede on our behalf. Romans 8.26 says that the Spirit helps us in our weakness, and when we don't know what to pray, the Spirit Himself will intercede for us with groanings that are too deep for words. So if you are a Christian, if you are one of God's children, you are being prayed for with a power that is even deeper than words. Let that encourage your broken heart today. On a similar note, try to stay in God's word. It might be really hard for a number of reasons, but don't give up. There were days when I just couldn't open the Bible and somebody else had to read it for me or read it to me. That's okay. Just get truth into your heart and mind. There is so much hope and help and comfort in the Bible. Beg God to speak to you through his word and plea with him to use his promises to comfort you and lift your grieving head. If you are able to read, and this isn't a struggle for you, I would encourage you to also make time to read books about heaven and loss and grief. Eric and I both did a lot of reading those first few months. He needed more theological books about grief and suffering, books like Tim Keller's Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. In those first few months, I gravitated more towards books that were personal stories, books about other grieving families, other books that grieving parents had written. It just helped me to feel not so alone and showed me that other families were making it through. Eric and I both did gain a lot of help and insight from Nancy Guthrie's books on grief as well. So if you don't know where to start, that's a good place. I would suggest ordering The One Year Book of Hope. When your family's lost a loved one and hearing Jesus speak into your sorrow. Those are all really helpful books. Oh, and Holding On to Hope is another good one of hers. The next thing is journal. Again, if you can, it is a good, healthy way to process, to vent, to talk with God as you write out your thoughts and prayers, getting all of the mumbled and chaotic thoughts out of your head and onto paper can really bring a lot of relief. Accept help. 
people will want to help, especially at the beginning. So if someone offers to grab groceries for you at the store or pick your kids up from school or clean your bathroom or make you a meal, let them. After a while, people will stop offering help and you'll be more on your own. So accept any help that comes your way, especially here at the beginning. Along with accepting help, ask for help. Once the fog begins to lift, the funeral is behind you, the initial distress and shock has subsided, you'll eventually have some things that you could use help with. Maybe somebody to watch the kids while you go to counseling, somebody to sit by at your child's next sporting event so that you don't have to sit alone, someone to help you write thank you cards or address the envelopes. Ask for that help. You don't have to do it all on your own. In fact, grief is going to teach you that you can't. Shutting yourself off and trying to quote unquote be strong will come back to bite you. Grieving well and making progress in your grief really does take a community. I know it's maddening when people throw out a comment like, let me know if you need anything, when all you really want is your loved one back. But try to take note of those people because their heart is probably in the right place and they just can't think about how to help in the moment. They haven't been where you are. So when you do think of something, as hard as it is, reach out and say, remember when you said I should let you know if I need something? And then ask for the help that you need. Do the next right thing. This is a phrase that has been attributed to multiple people over the years, but it's just a good mantra for those first few days, weeks, and months of grief. What needs to be done next? The dishwasher unloaded, the kids dropped off at piano lessons. Do you need to take a shower? Do you need to take the dog for a walk? What needs to be done next? Just focus on that, the next right thing. One thing at a time, one day at a time. God will provide the manna you need for today, just today. So look for that, take it, and don't worry about tomorrow until tomorrow. Try not to numb yourself, especially with things that will only make your grief and your life harder. That being said, there are a lot of wonderful self-care type practices that soothe and comfort instead of numb. So think about that when you are being drawn to something. Is it actually going to comfort and help or is it just a numbing practice that isn't actually going to bring you any long-term or even short-term comfort or peace? After Jackson died, I understood on a whole new level the desire to want to find escape from this amount of pain through drugs or alcohol or whatever would bring relief. My life had certainly not been pain-free or super easy up to Jackson's death. Our families had seen some dark days, but these were the darkest, and this pain was the worst I'd ever felt, and it was tempting to want an escape. But I had to remember, and I'm encouraging you to remember too, that there is real help, real hope, real comfort to be found in grief. These things can be found in the Lord, and they are better than the quick quick fix of something that will ultimately only bring more trouble to your hurting heart. Next, if there's ever a time to seek counseling, it would be now. Enough said. (laughs) Don't stop going to church. In fact, I encourage you to go this coming Sunday. Once you get out of the routine by not going those first few weeks or months, it is super hard to get back into the rhythm. And if you haven't been going to church when you are ready, again, I would suggest this coming Sunday, ask someone whose faith and life you respect and admire 
if you can go with them and visit their church. Now, this being said, church doesn't fix our problems. It will not make your grief hurt less. In fact, I remember church being one of the harder places to go in that first year of grief. You will hear the lyrics of the songs differently, and they will most likely be hard for you to sing. You probably won't even be able to sing. Professing some of the truths in worship music can feel really costly, especially when you've just buried someone you love. You'll also pretty quickly be able to see through the superficial happy clappy faith of people, and that can be discouraging when you are desperate for people to just lament with you and to sit on that morning bench next to you and feel your pain. But my encouragement here is to not give up on the church and on other Christians. God will help you if you ask Him. You are going to need a community of people to walk through these next few years with, brothers and sisters who can help carry your burdens, who can pray for you, who can meet some of your most basic needs in grief. And hearing God's Word taught and explained every week, singing songs of worship and trust and being loved on and shepherded by a caring pastor and church leadership team can help keep your heart stay soft and your hope remain strong. Kind of going along with church, I encourage you to keep taking steps towards God, even if they are baby steps. Keep moving in a forward motion towards God. He is better than everything else the world has to offer you in grief. He delivers on his promises. He is enough to meet your deepest needs. Some of his names include healer, comforter, helper, and provider. He promises to be a refuge, a strength, a fortress, and a shield. He has a proven track record of sustaining, guiding, redeeming, and restoring. He is full of grace, mercy, and hope. If you truly, truly want to fight for joy, turn to Him. One way to do that is surround yourself with Bible verses. Write out promises from the Bible that center around grief and lament on 4 by 6 index cards and put them all around your house, on the fridge, on your bathroom mirror, on your nightstand, by the kitchen sink, or even in your car or at your desk at work. I did this after Jackson died, and putting truth in front of me all throughout the house was really helpful, and I know it impacted the rest of the family and our friends, too. We had three young kids grieving their big brother and struggling to process all that was happening. On days when I was really struggling and didn't have much to give them, I knew God could use the power of the truths in His Word that were written on cards all over our house and all over our car to encourage them and strengthen them and help them when their mom was fighting to just get out of bed. I also had a note on my phone of Bible verses to read as I fell asleep or to read in the middle of the night when my mind was spiraling. If you don't know where to find comforting verses like this, start reading through the Psalms. Next, don't make big decisions for a little while. Someone gave that piece of advice to us, and I'm so glad. Right now, your biggest job is to grieve, and that's going to take a lot of mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual energy. It's probably not going to be the right time to think about moving or even getting rid of your loved one's belongings or changing jobs. It's going to feel like enough to just face the next day. And when you do have a big decision you should make, ask for some counsel and advice from a trusted friend, your pastor, or your counselor. 
I remember when we were feeling like we should clean out Jackson's room. It had been a couple of years, and for some reason, we just thought we weren't grieving well if we didn't face that task. But after asking our counselor, as well as asking the advice of others who were a number of years ahead of us in grief, we were told that five years or so into grief is probably a good marker for when we should start making some headway with this task. It was such a relief to get that counsel, and it really resonated with our hurting hearts. It was helpful to just have others help us with this big decision. So because of this, Eric and I let go of this should we were feeling about Jackson's room and just waned until that five-year mark, which allowed our weary, grieving hearts to focus on other things that were probably more important in those earlier years, things like staying engaged with our living kids and all of their activities. And speaking of big decisions, when the time comes for things like purchasing a tombstone, try not to overthink it. This is a tough one, tough one. And we held off for a while on buying a stone for Jackson because it just felt so overwhelming and final because it is like, how do you decide what to put on your 16 year old son's grave that will probably be there for hundreds of years? And I was just having a meltdown every time I even thought about walking into the monument company and facing this part of Jackson's death. But when we finally got there and began talking through options, someone, and I don't remember who, said, first of all, there's no hurry, which was good to hear. And secondly, said something along the lines of, if after a few years we change our mind or we wish we would have done something different, that we could just let them know that it was never too late to exchange stones and do something different. And I had never thought of that. And that future freedom to change my mind gave me the ability to just go ahead and make the best decision that I could then. Next, if possible, try to share a little bit of what you're going through, what you're thinking, what you're wrestling with, what you're experiencing and feeling. It doesn't have to be on social media like I do. It can just be on a walk with a friend or opening up more with your spouse. Just work to let people in and let them hear your heart. It does take courage and energy and effort, but God will give you strength as you ask him for it. And when you find the right people, your people in grief, they will affirm your courage and they will enter in and say, tell me more. They will see it as a privilege to sit with you in your grief and help carry the burdens of it all. And you will realize what a gift friendship and grief can be and how much you're going to need other people in grief. Along these lines, I highly suggest finding some sort of grief community, a special place where others will more fully understand what you are walking through because they too are walking through grief. A place where maybe you don't have to explain yourself as much or apologize or feel so isolated and alone. There are so many options, online, in-person, weekly groups, monthly groups, groups that are specific to certain situations like child loss or the loss of a spouse. Fighting and joy in community is powerful, much more powerful than trying to do it on your own. And not only will you receive the help and comfort and support that you need, you'll also begin helping and supporting others, which is so important if you want to make progress in your grief and in your fight for joy. But back to friendship and family and the regular non-grieving community around you of neighbors and friends, 
Just remember that people can't read your mind, even those closest to you, and those who love and care about you will want to walk with you and be there for you and hear from your heart. Most likely, people won't talk about your grief too much if you don't. They will be looking to you for direction and leading. So even though it takes courage and energy that you maybe don't think you can muster, try. Try to share. Try to open up to a select few. You don't have to do this alone. Along those lines, a select few will remember dates and times and events and even think of missed moments down the road, but most won't. So instead of getting angry or hurt when people don't remember, just remind them. Yes, in a perfect world, it would be nice if you didn't have to do that. But if you want to be intentional about maintaining close relationships in grief, you'll have to do some things like this. It's not personal. It's not that they don't care. It's just that until you have devastating dates on the calendar like you do now, you don't really understand the significance and importance. So don't be mad when people don't remember. Remind the people that you want to remember and ask God to help you keep extending grace. Okay, speaking of extending grace, friend, you are going to have to give a lot of it in the coming days and weeks and months and even years. I could go on and on and on about this, probably a whole episode, but just know that extending grace and forgiveness is going to be a big part of your life now. It's going to be tempting to keep track who was there and who wasn't, who's showing up and who haven't you heard from. Fighting this temptation to keep a stamp book and hold stuff like this over people, it takes faith. It's a way that you are trusting God to take care of you because He knows what you need. He will provide. Trust that the people who are there are the exact people you need. Don't let bitterness grow in your heart because it will stunt your healing and hinder your fight for joy. And actually, you'll not just have to give boatloads of grace to others, but you will have to constantly forgive and extend grace to yourself as well. And yes, confess sin and yuckiness that will grow in your heart as well. This is a messy, bumpy, painful journey, and no one, yourself or others, will do it perfectly. So keep a phrase like, there is grace for that, or all is grace, at the forefront of your mind. Or maybe do a word study in the Bible about grace. Just keep remembering how much grace God has extended to you. All of these things will help you to be a grace-filled, tender-hearted, grieving soul instead of a bitter, angry, resentful, vindictive person. Your grief isn't going away and bitterness towards those who have let you down, probably when you did need them most, will only make your pain, your grief, your loss, your loneliness, your sadness, and your life worse, not better. Everyone's grief journey is their own journey, their own unique journey. So even in your own home, your own spouse, your children, your parents, etc., grief will look different even if you are grieving the same person or the same situation. But one thing to keep in mind with this, along with having patience with one another and allowing others to deal with the grief in the ways that they need to, Know what helps one person will most likely help everyone. As each person strives to get the help they need and talk about things in the ways that are helpful for them, they will begin to experience healing and make progress in their grief. And that will help the entire household or friend group or family. 
So unless it is outright unhealthy or sinful, let those around you who are processing the same situation do it in the way that feels best to them and don't compare your grief with others. This brings me to laughter. This is something I handled poorly in grief. I know I just said not to compare your grief with others or expect others to grieve like you, but I'm telling you that because I did the opposite here and it didn't go well. I thought that just because I wasn't ready to let myself laugh, no one else should laugh either. And I hurt people in the process of making that super clear to everyone around me. The truth is you will laugh again. It probably feels weird to think about that, or maybe you already have laughed again and you felt guilty. That's normal. For a lot of people, those first few times of allowing yourself to really laugh are uncomfortable and hard. But eventually, laughter will be, as the Bible calls it, good medicine for your soul, and it will help your fight for joy. It will be part of you learning to live around your grief and embrace life again, even though it looks really different than it used to. Also, you'll learn about this soon enough, but I think it's helpful to have a category for it early on in grief, and that is understanding the term anticipatory grief. As dates and events and situations come up that you know will be hard, like the one-year anniversary, like the graduation ceremony that they should have been participating in, like the first birthday without them here, or Mother's Day or Father's Day, yes, these days will be super hard, and also the days leading up to them will probably be really hard too. I don't share this to discourage you, but to prepare you. Plan for the days leading up to these set-apart days. They will be hard on your heart as you don't know quite what to expect. Even 10 years in, I don't always know what June 3rd will look like or feel like or what I'll be experiencing emotionally on Jackson's birthday or on his favorite holiday, the 4th of July. Also, after the anticipatory, anticipatory grief, after getting through the actual date and the grief of that, You will most likely have even a different kind of grief in the days to follow. You'll need to give yourself time to recover and regain strength. (sighs) I know, like when does it stop, right? It doesn't, but having some kind of idea of what is to come can help so that you can prepare and not be surprised by the gravity of it all. Without thinking ahead to these kinds of things, you'll be grieving over your grief You'll be surprised at your, at your surprise. You'll be shocked that you are shocked. You'll be sad that you're extra sad. So budget your energy, not necessarily your time, as you think through the week before and the week after a particularly difficult day or time frame. Grief is lonely, and I am so heavy-hearted for the added sadness that that will bring to you, because even with a strong support system, even with friends who so want to walk with you or a loving family who cares, you will have times of deep loneliness as you grieve in your own unique way and process so much in the quiet of your own mind and in your own heart. It's not always easy or possible to find words for what you are feeling or thinking or experiencing or worrying about. God may not be able to sit across the table from you or give you a hug or hold your hand like a friend here on earth can do, but he is with you, friend, and when you feel lonely, talk to him. Talk to him like you would a friend. He can meet your needs. His presence can be felt and will bring you comfort in your loneliest moments. 
After the funeral, after the burial, after the first few brutal weeks or months, most people will return to their regular lives and won't think about you and your grief very much. It can feel kind of shocking and hurtful, but it's normal. And you will have to get back to some of the normal things too, as hard as that is. You will eventually need to get to the grocery store or lead that meeting at work or attend that event. Normal things will begin to come up and you'll need to do them. My encouragement is just to think of ways to make them a little more gentle on your grieving heart and your weary body. When I was dreading going to the grocery store for the first time by myself, just hesitant about seeing people and going out in public, a friend of mine suggested that I do my grocery shopping in Omaha, which is about 30 miles away for the first couple of months, just kind of as a way to allow myself to get the task done without the added difficulty of running into people who would ask about our family or whatever. It was such a great idea and something I hadn't thought of, and it was really helpful. There were also times that I tried to go out and do something normal, and I just couldn't. I would sit in the parking lot, sitting in the car, begging God to help me get out of the car and go in, and I just couldn't. You'll have moments like that too, and that is okay. Leave the grocery cart in the aisle, leave church early, leave the basketball game at halftime, go back home and try again another time. Also, when you do get a place to a place where you're able to try these things, look for safe people and safe places. Eric and I had a couple of restaurants and a couple of servers at those restaurants who made us feel safe like this. They knew our story and they took special care of us. I also learned which grocery store and even which checkout ladies were easiest for me. I started planning out who we would sit with at the next sporting event and had them save us seats so we could show up right as it started instead of getting there too early and having to deal with small talk. It's hard to have to work at stuff like this, but it really does help. It's worth it when you can feel a little more safe and secure and taken care of, and it will help you resist the desire to pull away from everything and everyone and just isolate yourself. That leads me to my last thought, and that is to stay engaged where you can and when you can. There are so many things that you will have to pull away from for a while. You won't have the strength and ability to carry on with life like it was pre-death or pre-grief. But I encourage you to stay intentional about a few things. Think about where you can stay engaged. My counselor had told me to picture my life 10 years down the road and name a few things that I wanted to have in my life. I listed things like my relationship with God, a solid marriage, meaningful relationships with my children, maintaining a healthy body and mind, having deep friendships, stuff like that. Then she helped me to figure out small, practical baby steps towards those things to implement early in grief so that the potential for those things to be what I would want them to be in 10 years would be much higher. And friends, she was right. It took a tremendous amount of work to stay engaged and think ahead like that. But I can tell you that 10 years, actually 10 and a half years into grief now, I'm experiencing the things that I had hoped for in even greater ways than I thought possible. So don't give up or think that you'll worry about your marriage or your friendships when your grief is over because it's not going to be over, but it will become less overwhelming, less consuming, less painful, 
And when it does, you'll be glad that you stayed engaged with things that are important to you, even in the smallest, simplest ways. (sighs) Okay, that was a lot, but thank you for listening today. Again, even though it was a lot, this isn't an exhaustive list, but I do hope you found some help and some hope. Grief is so, so, so hard, and I'm sorry that you are beginning this journey, but I wanted you to know that you are not alone, and I am cheering you on here. Keep going, friend, one day at a time. And I want to end this episode with some verses from Lamentations 3. I want to leave you with the hope that no matter what today looked like for you, you can experience and find renewed hope in the morning. God will provide new mercies tomorrow, more grace, more help, more comfort, more peace, more strength, and new potential for joy. Listen to these words and know that God sees you in in your grief. He is for you. He is with you. And he will never leave you, even in your darkest days of grief. He is there for you. And running to him is the greatest way to fight for joy in grief. Lamentations 3.17 and then 21-25. through 25. The writer says, My soul is lacking peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. Thank you so much for listening today. If you were helped or encouraged by this episode, please share it with others. I would also love for you to find me on social media. You can connect with me and others who are listening on my Fighting for Joy podcast page on either Facebook or Instagram. You can also send me an email at fightingforjoypodcast at gmail.com. Podcasts have been such a lifeline for me in grief and one of the top ways that my soul is recharged and encouraged on a weekly basis. I truly hope that this podcast will do the same for you. Keep fighting for joy.